Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome to Inside the Tunnel, presented by VT Scoop on 247sports.com. Get out of here and get something cold to drink. <laughs> Y'all want to, too, you know it. All right, let it rip. Let it rip. Let's go. Ladies and gentlemen, we are back. Welcome back to Inside the Tunnel. It's been a month. Doug Bowman. Evan G. Watkins joining me tonight. Talk a little tech recruiting. We missed a lot in the last month. Let's start with Evan. Evan, what's new with you besides cheat days? Just trying to survive the quarantine, trying to stay healthy and, uh, you know, get everybody through as, as good as we can. Um, locked up in the house, you know, just just surviving, trying to trying to live it out. I mean, Virginia's going to phase three. My family's still probably in phase one. We're just we're just stuck inside and trying to keep everybody healthy. When you basically run a daycare full of children, you have to do that. Sounds about right. And Doug, how are you doing? Uh, we're pretty good, I guess, down here in Richmond. I think we're about to be in phase. I think we're still in phase two. We're, we're usually one behind, but uh, yeah, just uh, trying to lobby the MLB owners and trying to get baseball back as soon as possible. But other than that, um, so far, so good. Yeah, trying to get as many sports back as possible. We're stuck with Premier League right now, and being an Arsenal fan, it's been rough. So anyways, we're here to talk some football, bunch of recruits that we need to recap in the past month. Jalen Stroman, Chance Black, Matias Carroll, Danielle Miletic, Kelly Lawson, Taj Bullock, and Sean Asbury. It's funny because the last time we were all together, all talking about Tech's recruiting class, it was the fallout after Demetrius Davis. And things have changed slightly. More commits in the boat, roughly the same ranking. When you look at the guys that committed from the list of names that I just mentioned, we could start with Evan. Any of those guys stick out to you? You know, I'm a big fan of, uh, of Matthias Carroll. I think he's a guy that um, he, you, when you watch his film, when you watch him play, he, he's explosive, he's big, he's quick. I think he's a guy that could possibly play his way. If there is football this fall, I think he's a guy that could play his way into a higher ranking, maybe get into that four-star range. Um, you know, Kelly Lawson, after Virginia Tech uh, landed his commitment, which really wasn't a surprise after, uh, after the Hokies offered, we started seeing some national uh, recruiting analysts for 24-7 start to kind of pump him up a little bit and what they're looking forward to seeing in the, in the fall from him. I wouldn't be surprised to see him maybe play his way up into a four-star rank as well. Doesn't have the offer list of a four-star player. A lot of people might, might uh, bring that up, but he's a guy that's been injured. He didn't get the chance to camp. He's not from a, a re- really, you know, highly recruited high school, um, but he's a guy that can play some football. And I think a lot of people are really excited about him and his potential um, you know, I'm I'm a big Chance Black guy, big Jalen Stroman guy. I like these guys on paper. You look at them. I like what they bring to the table. I don't see 
many negatives in that group of guys that committed. I think Virginia Tech did well in their evaluations uh, and landing those guys. And there's a lot more, uh, you know, fish in the sea for the Hokies to go out and land to, to complete this class. And moving to Doug, when you look at all these names, a lot of defensive guys on paper, Virginia Tech gets their quarterback after Demetrius Davis and Taj Bullock. What are your key takeaways from from this group here? I think it's you, you touched on Bullock, but being able to go out and, you know, after Davis decommitted, they essentially looked around at a couple guys and, and settled pretty quickly on Bullock. So to be able to to pull him. Uh, out of New Jersey with how well Rutgers is recruiting. Um, clearly a good job by the staff there to to move on from the disappointment of Davis quickly and, and really lock down a guy that they like at a position of need. Um, when you talk about two or three years down the line, once his current quarterback uh, group group heads out of town, uh, Bullock is, is now taking over the spot that Davis had as, as the heir apparent uh, once he gets on campus. So I think that was a big, as far as, you know, quarterbacks, the most, most important position on the field. Um, and so when you can identify a guy that you like and start recruiting him and close the deal all in a matter of, you know, a couple months there, um, I think he's the, he's probably the big one that you want to look at. And looking at this group personally, it looks like there's, a bunch of risks associated. We talk about the last two, Sean Asbury, Kelly Lawson, two guys that suffered injuries and didn't get to go tour as many camps as they might have liked or get evaluated as well like other recruits. And you mix in with the current pandemic going on. It's it's much tougher to be able to evaluate these guys in person. Do you think this is going to be the trend, Evan, moving forward that a lot of these guys have a lot of risk associated with them? It all depends on how you look at it. I mean, there is a little bit of risk there, but you can also look at the fact that, uh, you know, for in-state schools, not just Virginia Tech, but other schools that can recruit in their state, they've actually had a chance to see these guys, whether they've worked them out on campus, they worked them out at a satellite camp, they went to their games to scout them. Um, You know, obviously there wasn't spring evaluation this year, but that doesn't mean that Virginia Tech hadn't walked those halls and seen Sean Asbury, seeing Kelly Lawson, have good contacts with guys that are around them. It kind of gives in-state schools a little bit of an advantage for guys like that. We always talk about how the internet has taken away the diamond in the rough player, which I think to a certain extent it has. But in a, in a global pandemic, when everything is canceled, you have to go with what you've seen. And if you're the only one that's gotten a chance to see these players or one of the small few that's gotten a chance to see them and see what they can do and actually lay eyes on them or go with evaluations of people that you trust, I think that really helps it kind of go a long way. I mean, it, you can look at some of these guys. Jalen Stroman has worked out at Tech, obviously big connection to to the Hokies with his brother Greg. Chance Black worked out at Tech. Matthias Carroll comes from a, a program up there that Virginia Tech has been recruiting for years. Uh, you know, Kelly Lawson comes from the same high school uh, as Dylan Rivers. There's connections there. Taj Bullock, one of the biggest high schools in New Jersey, state champion. Obviously, Virginia Tech's walked those halls. Sean Asbury up in Northern Virginia. Hokies have a lot of ties there. So it looks like, you know, Virginia Tech got a chance to maybe evaluate these guys a little earlier than other schools may have gotten a chance to. Uh, either because they had, you know, high high uh, interest in the Hokies, a guy like Chance Black working out on campus, or they have ties to the program, or they come from a big program that just attracts 
got schools like Virginia Tech to go and, and check them out. So, at, and, you know, in, on one hand, you do have some risk. On the other hand, every recruit has risk, but you have to go with what you've seen, what you know. And, uh, you know, I think what Virginia Tech's done in the state of Virginia, I think it's smart. I think they should have been doing this from the beginning, taking some of these guys that are, uh, you know, well-respected high school football players, team captains, guys that can really buy into what Justin Fuente and Virginia Tech are all about uh, and can kind of help change that, uh, you know, the transition um, from Virginia Tech recruiting mostly out-of-state players to coming back and recruiting a lot of in-state guys. These are the guys you need to take, and I think it can only pay dividends for the Hokies moving forward. Now, with all these additions, there has been one subtraction we are recording on June 23rd, Tuesday night. Tyus Martin did decommit today. The top-rated prospect for Virginia Tech's 2021 recruiting class. This is the third de- decommitment overall, joining Demetrius Davis and Latrell Neville. All three, at one point, were the top recruits of the class. We could start with Doug. What are the optics of this when each one of these guys was the top guy of the class and now they're heading elsewhere. Yeah, just on that surface, it's not uh, the best look. Obviously, once you land highly touted guys, you want to close on them. But it, I mean, at this at this stage of the pandemic, and with how many players are committed and expected to decommit, and when I mean, you're talking about two kids from Texas and one guy from Arkansas. Um, I don't think it's surprising that any of these guys decommitted. I mean. Those are not very common places for Virginia Tech to go into and have success. And when you're when you're not able to get out on the road and recruit and see these guys, and you're not able to have them come and see you on campus, you're. Uh, you're I think it's a tough ass to to uh, to hold on to those guys. As you know, Virginia Tech's talking to them, but Arkansas, in, in Martin's case, Arkansas and Ole Miss and all those SEC programs that are right in his backyard have continued to talk to him, just like Virginia Tech. So, um, you know, losing your top recruit, you know, successively three times in a row, not a great look. But, I mean, I think it's a sign of the times, and it's particularly this year where it's just going to be absolutely crazy. And, Evan, for you, Tyus Martin said he was locked in, spoke to you, said he was 100% committed. I always joke around that every recruit, even think back to Latrell Neville, 1,000% committed. They're always committed until they aren't. Was this one surprising to you? No, it wasn't. Um, you know, back when uh, when we started getting the buzz around uh, Demetrius going to Auburn, and then, you know, he when he did flip, one of the first things that I posted uh, for VIP subscribers that night was that I expected Neville to be next. And then I expected Tyus Martin to follow both of these, those guys have been looking for options. I mean, when you're, when you take kids that haven't seen campus, they have no ties to the school and they're still openly talking to other programs. It's, it's really just a, a placeholder. And I don't, a lot of fans might, might think that that's wrong or might get upset about it, but Honestly, in, a, in, in the world we live in right now in 2020 and probably moving forward, I think anybody would probably do the same thing. Even regular students will apply to multiple schools if you get into one great. But if you're waiting on that certain school or that certain offer to come along, then you might drop your safety school. And, and for some kids, you know, guys from Texas, guys from Arkansas, guys outside the typical recruiting region of Virginia Tech, 
could see the Hokies as a safety school, just like other programs uh, are seen as safety schools by players as well. When you're outside of that top group of, of blue blood schools, Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, you know, maybe even some Notre Dames, guys like that, uh, you know, those, those guys can lock in an early commitment and stay locked in. But for Virginia Tech, uh, you know, some kids will lock in on that and, and use it as a springboard to kind of hold my place, hold my position while I uh, recruit to see if there's anything else that comes up that I might enjoy better. So, you know, I think he's a guy. Tyus Martin is a good football player. I think he's a guy needs to rebuild his body, needed to drop some weight, which we heard he was working on doing, and rebuild to be successful at the uh, at the collegiate level. Now, I do think, you know, going with what Doug said, I do think losing your top-rated guys, three guys in a row, um, and if you want to go back even further than that, Aaron Willis was technically part of this class as well. Um, those guys, losing the, your top guys like that, the optics aren't great. But on the other side, Demetrius Davis is in a completely different class than Latrell Neville and Tyus Martin. I don't want to take anything away from Latrell Neville and Tyus Martin. I think they both can have very successful college careers. I think that they both can be, uh, you know, destined to, to let all of their dreams come true on the football field. Demetrius Davis is a special football player. He's a special high school football player. Losing him is not the same as losing Latrell Neville or Tyus Martin. Guys like that can be replaced. Guys like that can be, uh, you know, you can recruit that position and, and find guys that might be closer to your region that fit that role or fit that, uh, you know, that that certain ability. I don't want anything to, anybody to take anything away from Taj Bullock. I think Taj Bullock is a good football player, state champion in New Jersey, has a chance to be a good football player at Virginia Tech. But you know, Demetrius Davis is a special athlete. He's a special high school football player. And, and losing him is, you know, that that was big for Virginia Tech, much bigger than losing Tyus Martin or Latrell Neville. And I think it's interesting when you talk about, you know, all these things coming together, the good and the bad. The current recruiting strategy, and I should say the current ranking has a lot of people up in arms because there has been a lot of commitments in the past month. There's been eight in the past month, four in-state guys. It's ironic in a sense that Justin Fuente started off this entire recruiting cycle saying, you know, we have deep ties to Texas. We're going to explore Texas, take talent from all over the country. It doesn't just have to be Virginia. And now all of a sudden it seems like they're landlocked around the DMV area. Um, but I want to talk about the ranking because you know, 53rd right now isn't great for Virginia Tech. And it's a big class. It was supposed to be a lot different than last year. So what should Virginia Tech fans make of it right now? We could start with Doug. Yeah, I think everybody's probably right to be a little um, concerned. I mean, anytime you're 53rd and you're losing three of your top guys, and now you've got basically a class full of three stars, um, Certainly at this point of the year, you would hope for Virginia Tech to be a little ahead of where they are. Clearly, the decommits hurt. Um, they lost some momentum there. We were talking several podcasts ago about guys like Landon Watson and those kind of prospects that have fallen off the radar. So um, clearly, I think Virginia Tech could be Virginia Tech fans who are upset probably are a little a little fair in that regard. But. You know, I think this season, this recruiting class, is, as I've talked about multiple times, is always going to come down to how Virginia Tech plays on the field and whether they can translate 
the last two years into momentum by winning and contending for the ACC. If that didn't happen this year, no good recruiting class was going to hold together. Um, so I think it still comes down to the season and, you know, what where they are at recruiting right now can obviously change pretty quickly. I know there's several good, several big decisions coming up in the next, you know, a couple weeks that should or could help for Jane Tech's recruiting class ranking. But, I mean, there's just a long way to go. And I think at the end of the day, this was always going to come down to whether Virginia Tech put together a successful 2020 season. And I do want to talk about the next several weeks coming up. And I liken this recruiting cycle to dominoes. And we we saw it before. Virginia Tech was, you know, in the top 25 when everything was going well. Demetrius Davis, you talk about Philip Riley potentially committing to Virginia Tech, building on that momentum. And then all of a sudden, dominoes tip the other way and Virginia Tech completely falls apart in the recruiting rankings. It looks like Virginia Tech has another opportunity where if the dominoes fall the right way, we could be singing a whole different tone in a few weeks. So, Evan, let's preview a couple of these guys. Mari Huggins-Bruce, Naquan Brown, Jordan Poole, and Cole Nelson, all slated to commit in July. Can Virginia Tech start building that positive momentum? Yeah, you know, I think Virginia Tech has a chance to, to build that with a few of those guys. You know, I think Amari Huggins-Bruce is, is a guy that I look at that I've talked about this a lot uh, on, on the you know, on VT Scoop and and on other radio shows and podcasts. He's a guy that, to me, he wants to be in Blacksburg. He wants to be a Hokie. He seems he seemed to want to, to be that for a year and a half, maybe even longer. Obviously, he really likes South Carolina and Clemson. They're in-state schools for him. They're probably not going to offer him. Doesn't seem like they are really, uh, you know, pushing to, to get that offer across the table to him. Um, you know, it looked like he wasn't wasn't going to have a spot in Blacksburg. That changed quickly. You know, it looked like he was going to go to Louisville. I got my prediction back on Virginia Tech. Um, you know, he's a guy that uh, I've heard that Jafar Williams will uh, will stand on a table to try and get that guy in Blacksburg. There seems to be a special connection there. I think he's uh, he's a guy that I think the Hokies should be able to land. Uh, you know, Cole Nelson, another one, pushed his commitment back. Uh, we heard his mo- mother had an illness. Um, you know, hope that everything is okay there was supposed to announce tomorrow um, on the 24th. He's pushed it back. We're not sure exactly what day it's going to be yet. Um, it's going to be sometime in July. I like the Hokies for that one as well. Jordan Poole is the one everyone should have their eyes on. This is the type of guy that can completely change a recruiting class. He's a top 100 player on 24-7 sports. He's a four-star recruit. Virginia Tech, South Carolina, NC State are his top three. We whittle that down a little bit. NC State, Virginia Tech seem to be the top two, according to contacts I'm talking to um, and contacts that a lot of guys in the industry are talking to as well. It's had an NC State vibe for months. I talked to someone today. They said Virginia Tech is definitely trending. They're definitely making up ground right now. It just kind of comes down to if Virginia Tech can close it out. They got one more week to go um, before July 1st. He's going to make that decision. I'd be surprised if it wasn't NC State or Virginia Tech, one of those two teams. He's a guy that can really start to change some perception a little bit. Um, you, you got Naquan Brown, an in-state guy. You know, I, I've heard he may not make that decision on July 1st uh, like he was penciled to do. We heard that in the last 24 hours that there's a chance he doesn't make that decision. 
I have him predicted to Virginia Tech. I'm not confident in that prediction, to be to be completely honest. I know if LSU wants him, they're going to get him. That's a battle Virginia Tech is going to lose, you know, 10 times out of 10 going against LSU for a player that they want. Uh, but, you know, if, if LSU decides they don't want him, um, you know, Virginia Tech could be right there as a chance to get him. I think he really has some genuine interest in the Hokies. Uh, and if they, he were to call and commit to Virginia Tech, I think that they would take it. Um, you know, there's a lot of lot of schools out there that question his size, they question his speed. You know, when you're 6'1", when you're 190, 93, 94 pounds, and you ran a 5, 5.18, I believe is what it, his, his documented 40 time is, there are some concerns. I think he's a good football player. I think he can play pow- at the Power 5 level. Um, he had a really good uh, sophomore year. He, he's continued to, to play well in the 757. I'm really interested to see if he delays his announcement and waits to see what happens after his senior year. Because I think some of these schools that may have questions on him now, he might be able to answer those questions if there's football in the fall. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see if he does make that decision. But if Virginia Tech were to go four for four, I don't expect that they will. But if they did go four for four, then you're looking at a team going from 53rd in the rankings, probably into the top 30. I think that that would be really, really good for the optics of Virginia Tech. But you also have to look at the long game. You have to look at, at both sides of this. The you know, Recruiting's a marathon. I tweeted that the other night. It's not a sprint. So you, know, you could be sitting right now. There are schools right now in the top 20 that have 15 to 20 commits. And 90% of those kids are saying, I'm taking officials once this thing opens up. It's great that you have a top 20 class right now, but that whole thing could fall apart if the NCAA lifts the dead period. Whereas Virginia Tech, on the other hand, is 53rd, but has a chance to land a few difference makers here in the next few days to propel them into that top 30. So, you know, it's definitely a little bit of a slower take uh, for Virginia Tech's class this year and probably what is the weirdest cycle we will ever have uh, when it comes to college football recruiting. So, you know, I, I think that the Hokies will, I think it's right that fans could question right now where the uh, the recruiting rankings are. But I think here in the next couple of weeks, Virginia Tech has a chance to shift that momentum pretty heavily and kind of go into the end of the summer, maybe the beginning of the fall, sitting in a really, really positive place. Yeah, it's been a it's been a crazy recruiting cycle so far. A lot of checkpoints along the way. Even if all four do jump into the mix, and it will it would be a top thirty class if all four do commit to Virginia Tech. Like you said, there's just so much time between now and signing day that you know I'm already seeing a lot of people on Twitter on the message board saying I only care once it's signing day, once it's officially signed, pen to paper. So we'll see what happens, but Virginia Tech in good standing with those four guys announcing maybe in July. Let's move on to some questions. We got a lot of questions on the triumphant return of Inside the Tunnel. Almost three pages of questions. The first one is from Hokies Kill Canes. Do you view the recent string of offers and commits from Virginia and the DMV as the start of a new recruiting strategy with more of a local focus? You know, I I definitely do. I think uh, Virginia Tech is a type of program. I think everybody got really involved with the Texas to VT thing, um, you know, and looking at these out-of-state recruits. 
Uh, and it kind of built a, a life of its own. But Virginia Tech will always make their bread and butter uh, within the eight-hour drive of campus. I think that's what it needs to be. I think that's what it should be. And I think we're starting to see a, a shift in that focus. Now, I'm not saying don't recruit, you know, deep in the, you know, in the southern part of Florida or, you know, spot recruit in Texas or continue to recruit a guy like DJ Harvey out of Los Angeles because those guys can, you know, guys from those areas or a guy like DJ Harvey can change your program. Um, but that's not a place you want to you want to exhaust a lot of your resources. Build your in-state ties take your in-state players and your guys in the surrounding states, and you can build a good program. Virginia's a, pro, a, a state that is deep. It's deep in 2021. It's deep in 2022. It's butted up against North Carolina. That's really, really deep in 2021 and, and continues to look uh, promising for the future. Maryland has been doing really well uh, you know, as a state, producing top talent. Washington, D.C. Virginia Tech can do a lot right there, and I think what we're seeing now, yep, Virginia Tech has a lot of ties, Justin Puente, Brad Cornelson, um, you know, James Shebest in the Midwest. But what we're seeing is guys like Justin Hamilton, Ryan Smith, Daryl Tapp. Those guys have deep ties in the state of Virginia, and they're making it known they want guys from the state. I know that Virginia Tech has had some guys speak in the last year. Uh, and I think John Yetzi said that when an offer from Virginia Tech, they want it to mean something. For a few years, it didn't mean things. Virginia Tech, uh, you know, would would exhaust all these resources out of the state while in-state guys were itching to get an offer from Virginia Tech or to commit to Virginia Tech, and they couldn't do it. Now I think we're seeing that shift. I think uh, this is the beginning of it. It's easy to do in a 25-member class. Hopefully it will continue. I think it's good for the state, good for state the, the state of Virginia football, especially in the three hot zones, Northern Virginia, Richmond, and the 757 if the Hokies prioritize those areas and prioritize the state, when you have Justin Hamilton and Ryan Smith talking to every high school coach essentially in the state, um, you know, we've heard Justin Hamilton used to be on the phone Saturday and Sundays with high school coaches talking about their games from that Friday night. And not just one or two, we're talking multiple high school coaches. He has a really good reputation in the state. Uh, Ryan Smith has a really good reputation in the state. Uh, and Daryl Tapp, obviously, has a great reputation in the 757. I don't think things will change overnight, but I think we are seeing a shift from taking one kid in Virginia last year to looking like Virginia Tech, Tech will take a good handful of, of in-state prospects this year. Yeah, I think you touched on a little bit, but Virginia Tech is always going to make their money in, in Virginia, North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia. Texas was a, you know, you're not going to call it a flash in the pan, but, you know, a, a relationship-based situation where they, you know, they had some success at the end of last year, then obviously with Davis and Neville early this year. But, you know, I think Texas in this kind of more outpost states kind of become more like Florida where, you know, Virginia Tech's had a lot of success in Delray Beach for a long time. They've had a lot of success in Jacksonville recently where, you know, it's not necessarily a movement, but if there's an opportunity there to recruit that area, they're going to do it clearly and rely on some relationships there. But, um, you know, as far as where the the movement needs to be and should be and probably will be going forward, it should always be in the mid-Atlantic and particularly in Virginia. Next question from Hokie4Life12. Where does Virginia Tech go for another defensive tackle? Does Virginia Tech try to get back in it with Dorian Ford? 
Does Virginia Tech leverage Taj's relationship with George Rooks, a four-star defensive tackle? Or does Virginia Tech go for a new offer like Tim Williams or Luther McCoy out of Florida? We'll go back to Evan for this one. You know, I think Virginia uh, Virginia Tech needs to focus on a couple key guys at defensive tackle. Earl Miller's a guy we've talked about a lot. A lot of uh, people have looked at his film. He's a guy from, from Florida. He's very high on Bill Tiernlink's uh, internal uh, draft board or recruiting board, we've heard. Um, that they are they really like him. I mean, he's a guy that talks weekly with the staff, talks daily with some of the the coaches uh, up there, and he wants to make a decision in July. I think he's probably the next D lineman or D tackle, I should say, to commit to Virginia Tech. I think it it just kind of lines up that way. The Hokies really evaluated him early, have some ties and some relationships around him, and, and they really like what they've seen and heard from him. Uh, you got to look at Tyleek Williams too. I mean, he's a guy. Talk about a, 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 a guy that would really bump your recruiting rankings. He has a lot of big-time offers uh, you know, to his name. Right now, we're hearing Virginia Tech and North Carolina are two to really watch in it. He's really good friends with Sean Asbury. Virginia Tech has obviously been making some inroads in Northern Virginia. Uh, I think Ryan Smith and Justin Hamilton have done a great job there. Uh, obviously, Virginia Tech hire, hiring Bill Tiernlink has really helped there, too. He wants to... You know, he want, this is a guy that wants to play in the NFL, and, uh, you know, Tierling's a guy that can get him there. He's also from the same neighborhood Tim Settle grew up in, uh, so they, they, they know each other. He, he goes to Stonewall Jackson. There are ties there. Tim Settle is still a local guy to him. They still uh, hang out, uh, you know, so, uh, occasionally they still talk. Tim Settle's pushing Virginia Tech there. I think the Hokies can uh, can maybe make some, some traction there. I don't think he's overly nesting, you know, jumping at the bit to uh to make a decision uh here in the near future i've heard he wants to wait a little bit kind of see how some games go in the fall see how some teams play see how some coaches coach and kind of check some things out from there uh but you know i've talked to a lot of contacts in northern virginia that think there's a lot of traction with virginia tech right now with him you know and then you look at guys like devin lee uh, obviously, Kelvin Gilliam is a guy that could be a flex guy. I think he's more primarily a DN, could play D-tackle as well. Um, you know, if, if Virginia Tech looks like they're in some good standings or maybe comes out of July with a commitment or two at the D-tackle position, uh, you know, I think that maybe they don't look at, the, uh, at some late offers. If they are going to look at a late offer, if I'm Virginia Tech and I have the opportunity to do that, I go junior college because you're going to lose a couple of guys after this year. And behind him, I mean, you have Norrell Pollard. I think he played great as a freshman. Mario Kendricks, I think he, you know, was really solid as a freshman as well. But you lose your upperclassmen. I think that uh, Virginia Tech would be smart to go JUCO or transfer route for for a defensive tackle, um, you know, moving forward. I would try to do that every year, every two years or so until you build that depth in the trenches. Um, but in the immediate future, I'd look at Earl Miller. I think he's probably the next defensive tackle to commit to, commit to Virginia Tech. A.H. Clark, 22, out of Poole, Brown, and Amari Huggins, Bruce, all committing within the next week and a half, according to their Twitters, how many do you think Virginia Tech gets? Is it crazy to say two out of three, Evan? Crazy to say it? No. I think that I think Virginia Tech has a good chance to go two out of three. Now, you know, if you put the, the line at one and a half, I'd probably push it. I think, uh, you know, I think... I, I, I'm leaning more towards Amari Huggins Bruce being a Hokie, and I am—I I don't know my my 
gut is telling me that Virginia Tech has a really, really in it for Poole. I think, you know, I think he's a guy that can really change the program. And I think the Hokies have done a great job with him. He obviously has family that play at NC State. He's got a lot of uh, friends that have gone to the university. But he's a guy that's been super high on the Hokies. He's been consistent. Uh, you know, he, he still has great communication from everything that I've, I'm hearing. I spoke with him today, and he's still talking to Virginia Tech on a regular basis going into his to his decision. I think, you know, I think Virginia Tech is definitely in there. And with, you know, with Naquan Brown, it's going to be interesting to see kind of how things go. You, you hate to look at it, you know, from the outside looking in. It's probably tough to look at it and say, uh, you know, you're going to you could get this guy that obviously wants to go somewhere else. Um, and if things don't work out, he could fall to you. And as somebody who covers recruiting as in-depthly as we do at 24-7 Sports, this is super common. Um, you know, a lot of guys, unless you're at those top, you know, those top four schools I mentioned earlier, four or five programs out there, you're going to get guys that wanted to go somewhere else. Everyone wants to go to LSU, Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State. You see them on TV all the time on the primetime games. They win national championships. They're always in the playoffs. People want to, to go there and put themselves in the position to make it to the NFL. You can get to the NFL from Virginia Tech or anywhere else. So, you know, it's going to be interesting to see when it comes down to Naquan Brown. Simply, will LSU take him? Uh, you know, will other schools take him? Does he decide to hold off? There's a lot of unknowns around him going into his decision right now, but I think Virginia Tech would need a couple things to fall their way uh, for for him to to uh, to end up being a Hokie right now. Next question is from Hokie for Life Twelve again. How does Virginia Tech get offensive line recruiting jump started? And he wants to know why is it so slow for offensive linemen right now. I just want to jump in quickly and say, I think it's so tough to recruit in the trenches right now just because you're unable to see these guys in person, see if they're actually six foot five, are they six foot two, um, you know, what they look like, are they overweight, how do they perform? I, I feel like with offensive linemen in particular, you need to see them in a camp setting, you need to see how they do with your drills against other guys that you may be recruiting on the defensive line. So it's so tough because you could have a behemoth of a prospect that maybe plays for a high school, but you don't really know how he stacks up against the other guys. If either of you want to jump in, go for it. Um, I'm right there with you. You know, when you throwing out Brian Hudson and Doug Nestor, Virginia Tech doesn't land blue chip bona fide offensive linemen that can play as true freshmen. They're always going to build their offensive line from the ground up through maturity, through the strength, uh, strength and conditioning program, and years of development. Uh, when, when you're looking at a, you know, a global pandemic like Virginia Tech has now, you're like, you know, we're not going to be able to see these kids in camp. You know, obviously, Matei, you know as well as I do, when we're at, we know when we go and watch these camps, we all gravitate to the offensive and defensive line. That's what you want to see. You know typically how good a corner is, how good a wide receiver is, a running back, a linebacker. For most cases, you know how good a quarterback is going into camp. You know what they can do. But watching one-on-ones on offensive line and defensive linemen can really tell you a lot about the prospects. Uh, and that's where you really can get a lot of uh, you know, evaluations. You can see how coachable they are. 
you can take a kid and put him at tackle. You can put him at center. You can move him to guard. You can kick him out, uh, make him run defensive line drills. We've seen that before. You know, put an offensive lineman on in as a as a three technique and see what he can do. Uh, you know, on the defensive side of the ball, just to see how adaptive they can be. Without summer camps, it's a, it's got to be extremely frustrating to try and recruit offensive linemen right now because you're going strictly off of game film. And to be honest, in Virginia, there's not that many great offensive or defensive linemen that you can look at off game film and say, I definitely want to offer that kid. We need them in our program. Um, you know, even a guy like Tristan Lee, great prospect, can be offered off of film, one of the best in the country doesn't overly play a great defensive you know, line week in and week out. So he's going to look really, really dominant, which is what he's supposed to do because he's one of the best players in the country. But how good are the, are, are the opponents he's going against? Uh, you have to be able to take that into consideration when breaking down film and looking at some of these guys. So, you know, I'm with you. I think Virginia Tech is a little slower uh, historically on offering offensive linemen because they like to see them in person. They want to get them on campus for an unofficial visit, see how big they are, you know, see how long their arms are, what their reach is, how thick they are, what their uh, frame can handle, and get them in a camp setting, see how they move, see how coachable they are, see how adaptive they can be before they offer them. So, you know, I, I think that Virginia Tech's offensive line recruiting is a little bit slow right now. I think it's it's obviously hampered because they haven't been able to get kids on campus in months um, but, you know, when, when you look at what Virginia Tech has done across the offensive line since Vance Weiss has been there, I do like his vision. I do think that that the uh, the offensive line has grown since he's been there, and I think that it will continue to do that. So if he takes a few kids in this class, you may not really, you know, hear much about just like a, like a Daniel Militech. You know, I think he's the type of coach that can develop some offensive linemen later on in their careers to uh, to play and I don't think he's going to force anybody to play right away. You know, Virginia Tech's got a pretty experienced line that's fairly young. Uh, you know, so I think for the next few years, you can marinate some guys. Yeah, I was just going to cover that. I mean, I think you're looking at offensive line recruits. You've got at least two years until a lot of these guys have to play. And even three years out, you guys like Nestor and, and Hudson still have eligibility. So, you know, right now it, it makes sense to kind of pump the brakes on 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 an offensive line recruit and see what happens this fall. I think that's the probably the number one position to that is going to get beyond crazy. If, if, if high school football is being able to be played is once that game film gets out from, you know, I don't know how many games it's going to take them to, to start evaluating whether two, three, or whether they need to get into October, November, but, um, pretty much every single program in the country is going to be looking for offensive line tape, uh, once once we get into the fall and if high school football is, is being played. So that's that's the main thing, I think, not just for Gene Tech, but a lot of programs are waiting on. Disenfranchised wants to know why his internet goes out constantly. Anyone can chime in here. Pay your bills. Pay your bills. My main IT uh, solution is to just unplug it, wait 30 seconds and plug it back in. My main IT solution is just find the the local free Wi-Fi or steal your neighbors. Um, Cigar Guy wants to rank offensive and defensive units nationally. Um, I don't know what he's looking for in specific, but I guess we could take it as a whole. 
how do you guys see Virginia Tech's offense and defense stacking up nationally? I think as a whole, the the offense, um, you know, it's it's a, the, the the defense has obviously got experience returning at linebacker and two of the top corners in the country, and you're a little worried up front about the defensive line. The offense, um, you know, there's a quarterback question to answer, but I think you feel comfortable there. They need a little more running back, and you're hoping to see a, a number two wide receiver develop. Um, I think the defense is ahead, and they probably have a better chance just based on Farley and Waller if they are as good or better than they were last year. I think they can really carry defense. And you talk about Ashby in the middle um, and bringing back a whole boatload of returning defensive line. I think um, until we figure out what Virginia Tech looks like at running back and where those guys are, I think you have to say the defense is ahead of them, where they're going to be nationally. You know, I think Virginia Tech's defense was up in the 40s by the end of last year, uh, a major improvement over 2018. I think they could continue improving, you know, up into the top 30 maybe. I'll say that I think Virginia Tech will do very well uh, in terms of rushing offense. I'm not really sure about passing. And then defensively, I think, like you mentioned, it's one of the best defensive back units. And a lot of those rankings are going to come from the ACC, where I think they'll do a very good job with the current crop of ACC quarterbacks. Um, so, you know, I think top 50 in both is realistic. Um, I don't I don't see either unit being a top 20 unit, to be quite honest, but I think both will be solid. And like you said, I think the defensive end is a bit further along than the offense right now. There's just so many question marks. You look at wide receiver. What will be the starting five on the offensive line? Who will be the starting running back? What type of rotation will they have? There's just a lot of questions there. Next question from Cigar Guy. This one's an interesting one. Hendon Hooker, a top three ACC quarterback. Uh, you're basically talking about, is he better than Trevor Lawrence, uh, Sam Howell, and De'Eric King at that point? Maybe the kid from Wake Forest, Hartman. Uh, you know, I think Lawrence is clearly the number one guy, and then you're going to have, does Howell take, continue to get better in year two? Is King able to come into Miami as a transfer and, and play as well as he did um, at Houston? You know, I think that's entirely up in the air, but I think Hinden Hooker certainly has a good shot about about being a top three quarterback based on his performance from last year and where where he'd gone from, say, you know, even March of 2019 into August of 2019. And then by the end of the season, I think Virginia Tech is extremely comfortable with him um, as their starting quarterback. And he's clear, clearly got a boatload of talent and um you know, you, you look at some of the some of the throws he made, and some of the you know the run against UVA is a you know a, a play that he can be more than the game manager that he was when they first kind of dusted him off. So I think um, I think I, I think it's fair to have those kind of expectations. He's not going to get anywhere close to Trevor Lawrence, but as far as competing with King and Howell and Hartman at Wake, and I'm probably forgetting a couple quarterbacks in the ACC that could make a difference, but I, you know, I think that's a fair, fair expectation. 
Yeah, I think Mikhail Cunningham from Louisville will be up there as well. But I think it's Trevor Lawrence, Sam Howell at the clear tier one. And then it's anyone's up for grabs. Derek King, Hendon Hooker, Mikhail Cunningham will all battle for that number three. The next one, the dirty details. Evan, can you give details of schools negatively recruiting against Virginia Tech? Yeah, you know, it's... It's nothing that really wouldn't be, you know, surprising. When it comes to negatively recruiting, I, I think some people think, you know, it's these schools are like lying about other schools or, you know, planting the seed about, you know, some deception with other schools. But really, when it comes to to um, negatively recruiting another school, it's kind of just pointing out some obvious things about the program, whether it's been from the media or what. Now, with Virginia Tech, what we've heard, which is the same thing we've heard, uh, you know, before is uh, underachieving under Justin Fuente, you know, a team that uh, or a program that uh, plays the the easy, you know, the easier opponents tightly, um, doesn't have a chance to win the big games, can't put teams away. Uh, you know, we've heard, uh, obviously, the people have used the transfer portal against Virginia Tech, talking about, you know, players aren't happy and they're leaving, um, you know. But I think that Virginia Tech has done a pretty good job recently of really kind of dispelling a lot of those. Obviously, we hear a lot of Fuente isn't going to be at Virginia Tech, which I, I don't see that. I don't see Fuente leaving, um, you know, unless something big opens up across the country that really wants him. Uh, you know, I don't. I think that he's a guy that's, you know, he's kind of with Bab, Babcock's guy. I don't think he's going anywhere uh, unless he takes another job somewhere. And I don't really know if that's on his radar right now or not. Um, but, you know, we hear that, the Baylor situation of him interviewing with Baylor. Um, so it's been, you know, it's it's kind of what you would expect. It's, it's never anything, uh, you know, uh, Justin Fuente, I've said this multiple times, um, Justin Fuente is very well respected in the college coaching circle, the college coaching fraternity is what a lot of people call it. Um, you know, he's, he's a successful coach. He was successful at TCU. He was successful at Memphis. Uh, you know, a lot of people love the transition he made from Frank Niemer to, to, uh, to himself at Virginia tech, taking Virginia tech from a seven win team to the ACC championship game in his first year with really just plugging in a quarterback uh, that he found at junior college. Now you have seen, you know, obviously there was a dip, uh, you know, that came with a lot of the guys that were leaving, but in the coaching circles, a lot of people realize that he's kind of, you know, cleaning out the locker room a little bit, so to say, and rebuilding the program into his program. We've started to see a little bit of an uptick last year. If football is played this year, I expect an uptick again this year. Um, but he, you know, he's really respected. Um, so it's not really anything out of the ordinary nobody's really going out and saying you know nasty dirty things about virginia tech that i've uh, you know kind of been privy to really it's you know an experience of of justin hamilton last year there was a lot of bud foster's retiring before he announced probably last two years was a lot of bud foster retiring won't be there uh you know to for your entire four or five year career um but you know it's really nothing outside of the ordinary that you know, the average fan looking at Virginia Tech wouldn't be able to pick up on and say other schools could use this against the Hokies. And the final question from Cigar Guy, another very interesting one. Thoughts on Quincy Patterson if Braxton Burmeister is slated as the number two quarterback? I think this is a twofold 
that you figure you have all these guys in that room. Will they all stay? So on the assumption that all three would stay, I would say somehow get Quincy Patterson in the backfield, whether it's a package where he can come in and be that bruising type running back if it's third and short, whether putting him at running back with Hendon Hooker on the field or finding a way to put him at H back. I think somehow you have to get him onto the field, see how he can get a clear path if he is the number three. Doug, you want to weigh in? Yeah, I think (laughs) it's going to be the interesting and it's a good problem to have, I guess, when you have three former four-star quarterbacks on your roster. Um, You know, it's probably an impact of coronavirus we're talking about is if, if they go through spring practice and have a competition and Patterson or Burmeister or whoever is the clear number three at that point, you know, in normal times you might expect them to transfer before, before the fall season, but now they're all going to be competing right up into the year. And I don't see anybody transferring right before the season expecting to play somewhere else. So I think, I think they'll find a way to, as you talked about, kind of keep them both engaged and give them both opportunities. Um, I, I don't think it would be a rotation by, by any stretch. I think once they fi- find their number one guy, he'll be the traditional starter and, you know, maybe some spot, very spot duty for the backups, but I think they would find a way to keep them both engaged and, and see what happens basically at the end of the season once you know those guys have to figure out what their what their future plans look like on the other side of what you said Matei, of finding a way to get quincy on the field you got to find a way to get braxton on the field in my opinion as well i agree this is a guy you could throw him in the slot and he could be dangerous i think he's a really talented you know he's shifty he's quick Uh, I think he's a talented football player. I know he's obviously a good quarterback. He's very elusive, but I wouldn't be, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if you could throw him in the slot, make him be a a little bit like a Tavion Robinson. If he can run a few routes, catch the ball, you know, I think I'd run Quincy a little bit similar as, you know, when they put James Mitchell in the slot. Can, Can Quincy run a few routes and catch a few balls? When you have three guys like that, very talented players, uh, you got to find a way to utilize them and get them on the field. And I think that, uh, you know, I think that both of when you're looking at Quincy Patterson and Braxton Burmeister, they both can bring a lot outside of uh, quarterback as well. Yeah, that's crazy to think about that you have three quarterbacks that all could be fine quarterbacks for Virginia Tech next season. And yet, with at least two of them, you can put them at different positions. So it'll be such an and interesting Madeline, competition we- to watch. We spent uh, we spent all the last year begging for the Hooker Patterson. I know. <laughs> I think I think this year we got to beg for the the three quarterback formation with with all three of them on the field. Find a way to get it done. <laughs> I'm Dwight Schrute. Wants to know: Is it supposed to burn when I pee? Nope. I think that sounds I'll pretty normal. I think that sounds pretty normal. If you chug a whole gallon of gasoline, but other than that, I think you should get that checked out. The next question is from Hokey Dave 87 Heard from someone close to the program that Braxton Burmeister is a blazer and can spin the rock. Will he get significant playing time this year, even if Hendon Hooker is the starter? I think we just mentioned that. I don't know if anyone has anything else to add. 
I think when they pick a starter, it'll be mostly the starter. They could they could get a small role, but I just no coach willingly wants to do a two quarterback system. And if you have a good enough starter, which I think they think Hooker will be good enough, um, I think it would be a traditional number one guy for the vast majority of the snaps, and then maybe a little Burmeister on the side. I eighty one Hokey sixteen oh one two one. What would 50% seating capacity layout look like? 50% of Lane Stadium would be filled. <laughs> Next, gone fishing 34. Why hasn't Virginia Tech worn the orange jersey since the new jerseys came out? This one's an interesting one because the players wanted this. They wanted the orange threads, but it hasn't happened. I've heard, uh, you know, through the grapevine, I've heard that Justin Fuente is uh, a big fan of, or a big superstitious guy, and he doesn't want to wear the orange jerseys again. Because it looks like Oklahoma State, right? Didn't they wear orange when they lost to Old Dominion? Might have. Yeah, no, that was the last time they wore it, I'm pretty sure. There you <laughs> yeah, go. Yeah, never seen those ones. <laughs> yeah, burn them. All right. Aw Clark 22. Wants to know, favorite current commit? We can go around the circle. We could start with Evan. Um, I'm big on uh, Matthias Carroll. I think he's a guy that can really be productive at the college level. But I also really like Jalen Jones. I think Jalen Jones is a guy that reminds me a lot of Camp Phillips. We saw what he did at Virginia Tech. I think Jalen Jones is a big-time wide receiver that a lot of people maybe don't know about because he doesn't play at a, a powerhouse football program in Richmond. But I'm really bullish on Jalen Jones and, and Matthias Carroll. I'm going to go with Jalen Jones since you brought him up. I think he's an absolute stud from the state of Virginia in Richmond. I think the comparisons to Cam Phillips are very fair. And I'm excited about his potential because not only is he a fast guy, rangy, long arms, I think he can play both on the outside and in the slot. And I'm curious to see how he'll be used, but I think he's certainly a very big piece for this offense. And just thinking about Taj Bullock throwing bombs and him running under it uh, has me excited about his potential. I'm going to go with a different Jalen than, than what you guys went with. I'm going to go Jalen Stroman. Um, as a defensive back, probably end up at Rover, maybe free safety um, from from Northern Virginia. Obviously, the Greg Stroman connection there. Um, I know Virginia Tech is very high on him and has been on him for a long time. Most people expected him to end up at Virginia Tech. Clearly, he made that decision, but I think he's got a really bright future um, as far as taking over in the secondary uh, down the line. I think I, I really like what he what he's all about and how he plays. Last question. We'll answer the other ones in the thread. Luckily, we got a lot of questions from you guys. Didn't expect this many, but we don't want to go over time here. So the last one will be from I'm Dwight Schrute. Scale of 1 to 10, how pleased are you with the way Virginia Tech is recruiting at the moment? Evan, we can start with you once again. You know, I don't mind the strategy. I don't mind Virginia Tech being a little slow right now, being a little conservative with it, because I don't think... When you look at it, would you rather be 53rd right now and have a chance to build on that moving forward? Or would you rather be a team that is pretty full right now, maybe in the top 20, top 15, knowing that there's a good chance that a good amount of your players are going, your, your commits are going to uh, look at their other options and, and take visits elsewhere? 
you know, I think when you have to weigh it out that way, I think Virginia Tech has the chance to increase their value over the next few months until they get to signing day by adding new commitments to their list. What they have now with after Tyus Martin and after Latrell Neville, it looks like Virginia Tech's commit list is pretty set, pretty solid right now. Moving forward, I think that they will add a bunch to it. I think they're at 11 now. So you add another 14, maybe add in some junior college guys to it. That class is going to continue to move up in the class rankings where there are some programs out there you look at that are in the top 20, top 25 that you say, this class is going to start to fall apart. Guys are going to start decommitting. If one guy leaves, other guys will leave when that uh, when the NCAA lifts their, their ban. So I think, you know, right now I think the, the approach, I like the approach. I do think there are some guys that Virginia Tech maybe could have pushed to get in the boat earlier, pushed a little harder, guys that could help them recruit and, uh, you know, bring in some more talent. Don't hate the system. I think that the, the scheme that they're going on is fine. Um, but I do think they've missed out on a couple of guys. Um, but they do still have a lot of highly ranked guys or guys that are, in my opinion, really good football players that can help the program still on the board. So, you know, I don't I don't hate where Virginia Tech sits right now. I know a lot of people might look at that 53 and think, you know, that that's pretty bad right now. But when you don't have a spring game, you don't have any summer visits. Uh, Virginia Tech has always done well in June and July. We're getting ready to go into July after they picked up, uh, you know, a handful of commits look poised to add some more. The next few weeks could propel them into the top 30 uh, if things go their way. So, you know, I don't really hate it right now for Virginia Tech. I, I, I'm not, you know, as somebody that's covered them for a while, I don't think this ends up like last year. Uh, I think last year was an, an anomaly. Um, I'm, I'm kind of interested to see how this thing uh, continues to move forward, but I don't hate it right now. Yeah, I'll say that I understand the people that look at 53 and are upset. Uh, personally, I'm not the one to judge just yet. It's like watching season eight of Game of Thrones. You wait until the season ends before you say it sucks. But there's so much time left, and I think this is going to be one of the craziest recruiting cycles. There's usually a big name at the end of each recruiting cycle that Virginia Tech is able to pick up. I mean, look at Doug Nestor as an example, Alec Bryant in last year's cycle, uh, so I think there's going to be a lot of guys that are going to be available and right now being patient, waiting on some guys, seeing if they're the right fit, seeing what happens with the whole pandemic and seeing if you can actually get guys on campus is the correct approach. I know there's a lot of other programs right now. You look at Rutgers in the top 20, uh, you know, UNC at four. A lot of people want to chase UNC, but I think right now you have to take it at your own pace and just trust the process. And when it's all said and done, that's the time to judge. It's certainly not the time to worry right now, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I was going to say five. I think you guys covered it. You know, you would like to still have a Demetrius Davis in the boat. You would have liked to pick up a Wyatt Milliam. Um but really, I mean, at this point, the season, this this cycle is completely crazy, and I, you know, I think this is absolutely, absolutely the 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 year to be patient and see what happens in the fall. Um, you know, you're gonna have didn't have a spring evaluation period, didn't have spring practice, couldn't have camps all summer. So I think rather than taking guys that you're not sure on, you want to try and wait. And, and kind of over evaluate and, and wait till you see what happens in the fall. Um, and so you have room for those guys that, that really show up on the senior senior film, you know, 12 months after their last 
their last football game. Um, and then I think the other thing you have to think about is Virginia Tech's been building towards the season for the last three or four years. If they're good, you get that, you know, theoretical, hopefully recruiting bump there. Um, why, why spend, why take a chance on guys that you aren't completely confident in right now when you don't know who's going to be out there in the fall and you don't know kind of what position you're going to be in if Virginia Tech is, you know, I don't know if they'll actually get through a full season, but if Virginia Tech's, you know, 10 and 2 playing in the ACC championship, I think a lot of people feel a lot differently about where the program is. And given how, how this cycle will be completely crazy if people can visit and all that stuff, I think Virginia Tech is in a much better position at that point um, than, you know, worrying about where they are here on June 23rd. Just to close out, sorry once again to the questions we did not get to. It was nice having you both back with me on this podcast. Just three guys in camo crocs covering Virginia Tech, recruiting and other things. So glad to have you guys back. Hopefully we can do this more frequently now. Uh, any final thoughts from either of you before we say goodbye to all the listeners? Uh, it was it was a good podcast between me and Doug. I'm glad that you could uh, you could moderate it here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> People don't know this, but my computer turned off uh, at the end. But to everyone else, see you next time. relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app.